from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show live uh, or whatever, they can go to the uh, website and uh, pick it up at www.hotm.tv. Now, let me make an explanation about something. For those of you who have been with us for a while, we've had some... Uh, things that have changed. I just want to explain it to you. We have three websites right now that we've branched off into, and I just want to make this clear. The first website is Heart of the Matter. The address is www.hotm. That's, that's about the television show. It's about watching the, the show live. You can get the past shows at hotm.tv and event information related to this show. The second website that you want to, and you're probably very familiar with, is www.bornagainmormon.com. And Mormon spelled M-O-R-M-O-N. If you go to www.bornagainmormon.com, you get some kind of crazy thing that's trying to mock what we're doing. So don't do it. And there you can pick up I Was a Born Again Mormon. What is a Born Again Mormon? Our faith and our purpose. What our ministry is about. And then, if you're interested in coming and attending church, it's lordsword.org, all right? And uh, that talks about the church that we have here in Salt Lake City, the times, the directions, special events, and pretty soon, you're going to be able to get all the audio features uh, from the sermons that go on there. So, I hope that makes it fairly clear. You can go to any one of those sites and get more information about the other sites, but we just wanted to bring that to your attention. Listen, we want to take a moment and thank each one of you for your prayers, for your support, your emails, and uh, your concern, and the other things that you have done for Aletheia Ministries is greatly appreciated. And for the most part, it goes unrecognized, You, uh, at least here on earth. So we could not make inroads the way it has been going, of course, without the Lord and without your vested interest in your concern, your prayers, your emails, and whatever else you have done for us. So we want to thank you. No matter what you do in this life, there are periods of time when you question whether what you're doing is right. And uh, in, even in the ministry that, that we're in, there are times when I will wonder if we're going about this the right way. Last weekend, I was troubled uh, because I had this thought in my mind relative to our ministry. Are we really going about it the right way in regard to the LDS? Then I, I took a drive down 4th South on Sunday to go, go meet some friends, and I went by the Pride, the Gay Pride Festival down in Salt Lake City. And as I was driving, I saw two separate groups along my, my path of men and in those groups, there were, there were different individuals, and when they would see me, they would lift their shirts up and rub their chest suggestively. And when I saw this as I was driving down the street, 
this Bacchanalian festival of lust and humanism and uh, the worship of man and the worship of self, I, I, I was sad and I was ashamed for the people involved. I wasn't hateful toward them as individuals, but I detested what they were promoting and I was overwhelmingly embarrassed for their desire to corrupt others. Then, even more in my mind, I wondered if our efforts here are worthwhile. I mean, we have all this kind of stuff going on, and then here we are uh, devoting a whole hour of time on television to talk about the LDS Church, who really do represent good family values and clean living. And so, you know, in contrast with those things that I saw there, you know, and then we're doing this show on Mormonism, it, there's, it created even more difficulty in my, in my mind. Well, later that evening, I spoke to Mary, my wife, about this, and she reminded me why I do what I do. That morning, she took our youngest daughter, Delaney, to the LDS Church for a missionary farewell. And in that meeting, they sang a rousing rendition of the LDS hymn, Praise to the Man. Our youngest asked my wife what they were singing about, and Mary explained that the song was about Joseph Smith and she became somewhat unnerved. I recall hearing the song sung when I was in the uh, missionary training center way back in the 1970s, and tears flowed from all the eyes of the prospective missionaries preparing to go out as some operatic man stood in front of the group and theatrically sang the song. Hail to the prophet, ascend into heaven, Traitors and tyrants, now fight him in vain. Now listen to this line. Mingling with gods. Talking about Joseph Smith. Mingling with gods, he can plan for his brethren. Death shall not conquer the hero again. Mingling with gods. Mingling with gods. What does that mean? Does that mean, hey... Gods, let's have tennis this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Sunday brunch. Hey, uh, Joe, did you see God number 2,475,000 and what he's wearing today? Oh, man. I mean, what's mingling with gods mean? And gods, it's lowercase g with an S on it. Last sat Sunday on KBYU, they aired a tribute to Joseph Smith, and the narrator actually said, and God was Joseph Smith's right-hand man. Man worship is everywhere, whether it's in chest-rubbing homosexuals on 4th South or in insipidly blasphemous KBYU statements. It's everywhere, and I am once again secure in the knowledge of our attention, that our attentions are focused in the right place. This next segment is going to be presented without any commentary. Let me give you just a little uh, background information, but I'll let you come to your own conclusions. Uh, a while ago, Cheney of the of government, Dick Cheney, came to BYU, and I believe he was awarded with some honorary uh, 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 diploma of some sort, maybe a PhD or something. But someone took a snapshot of him shaking hands with the late pres LDS president, Gordon B. Hinckley. We have a picture of that. Now take a look at this picture. 
Now, do you see the way uh, Dick Cheney's finger is reaching over there and pressing on the middle of the wrist of Gordon B. Hinckley? That, that shake or that uh, is, is a special handshake relative to Masons and Mormons in many ways. And you can see him doing that. So now we can take off that picture. Now, I don't know about you, but when I shake someone's hand, all my fingers go around their hand. I don't know about this, this finger going, but I saw that picture and I thought, well, you know, maybe Cheney was a little bit crazy with the finger that day and there's nothing to it. But then last week we get a picture of George Bush shaking Thomas S. Monson's hand. Let's take a look at that. And this finger is going all the way under Thomas S. Monson's uh, shirt sleeve to press into his, the middle of his wrists. Now, I'm not going to make a comment on why this is happening. Maybe it's a Republican thing, but uh, they've, there's something really trippy going on here within the hierarchy of these superpowers. And uh, if I'm dead in the morning, please uh, do a big investigation for <laughs> revealing this. It's really, really interesting. Last week, I traveled to South Bend, Indiana to be a guest on the Lassie broadcasting show called Harvest, which is seen all over the world. I think total about 157 million households. We've had a ton of national and even international response from this, and we thought we'd give you a four-minute glimpse of that interview. So let's roll it. We are so thrilled to have you here. Thank you. You know, what an awesome and exciting thing that you are doing right now. Thanks so much. It is very exciting. We're seeing lots of fruit. Lots of people come out of Mormonism uh, because of a relationship with the Lord. You know, what I love about you is you love Mormons. You love them. I mean, yeah. these are your people, and they really still are, and you really have a heart for them. Yes, I do. And they have a yearning, like it says in Romans 10. They have a yearning to know God, but they haven't learned that it's His righteousness and not their own. Mm. Mm. So tell us your story a little bit, Sean. You know, side of the road, you listen to this Christian dude preaching away. Yeah. Uh, and you were kind of educated in, in the things of the, the LDS. You know, so I'm sure you knew kind of where maybe those preachers were coming from. What was it that kind of began to turn your life around? Well, I, uh, as you said, I'd been uh, very active in the LDS church, but I was really searching for a relationship with God, and I was never right with him. Mm -hmm. When I heard a Charles Stanley, who I didn't know it was him when he was preaching, he asked a question, and he said, if you could make yourself right before God, why haven't you done it? Mm -hmm. And I had tried. I'd served a mission. I'd been in the church. I'd done it, and I hadn't done it. So that led me to have a regenerative experience, to have my be born again. Mm -hmm. And that changed me so radically that I realized that my brothers and sisters in the Mormon church had not experienced this. And that's why we began with Born Again Mormon. I entered theology school two years and then we got this television show and it just went from there. Mm. Is that born, born Again Mormon, is that a contradiction of terms? Yeah, that, uh, it's a contradiction of terms if people don't understand what we mean. What we mean by that is that you can experience spiritual rebirth through a relationship with Jesus Christ while a Latter-day Saint. It's not going to be through the LDS Jesus, it's going to be coming to Jesus, confessing your sin and saying, you know, forgive me, take over my life and it can happen. And then that will lead these LDS out of the church. But sometimes that's a process. It took me four years to leave Mormonism after mm. I had my roadside experience with the Lord. Mm. Uh, because you're so inculcated by what they teach you right. that it's hard to let that stuff go. Now, how did, uh, you know, you, here you go. You go back to church and uh, you all of a sudden got a different 
Jesus, the one that the Bible talks about, yeah. you know, working in your life, uh, obviously that, that should have caused some kind of conflicts, I would think, immediately. Is Absolutely. That the case? Yeah. Now, how did, they, how did they handle that, and how did you handle that? Well, it was like it was processional. It was took four years. But as I sat in the first meeting after I came to Nalora, I realized this is just hollow. Mm -hmm. And then it was just slowly, I guess it would be like a, a marriage that's falling apart. You begin to just drift apart, and you realize, hey, it's over. And, um, and I came to know the Lord through four, three or four Christian friends who helped me really understand what it, mean to be, what it means to be a Christian, and that was bringing the Word into my life. Mm -hmm. I had the Jesus experience, but I didn't have the Word in my life yet. Did you go to, like, uh, LDS services and then sneak away to the little yeah. trailer church on the other side of the tracks or something? I, I was sneaking away through Christian radio and programs like this, mm -hmm. and wow. they would help me and fortify me as, in my search, and lots of LDS are doing that. Mm. Well, so, so I'm sure there's some Mormons watching right now. You know, and so what do you want to say to them? I want to say, do you know where you're going if you step out on the curb today and get hit by a car and killed? Can you say you're going to live with God? And I know if you're LDS, you're going to say, well, I think or I hope. And I want you to know that you can know. And that peace is what gives you the legs to continue on through life as a Christian. But what if they say, well, I had the burning in my heart? Well, those responses are not indicative of what the Bible teaches. See, we can have a burning of our heart. And what, what De Deborah's talking about is this uh, visceral experience that the LDS rely on, these emotional feelings that something's true. But it has to be, those feelings have to be in line with the Word of God. And so if you have a, a Jesus or a God who is not in line with the Word of God, you know those feelings could be from a bad burrito or they could be from something else. you, you got to make sure those feelings <laughs> are in line with what the Word of God teaches. So that would be my response to the burning in the heart. Now, Sean, there's a lot of books on the market today about how to reach Mormons or for Mormons to take a look at, you know, uh, um, Orthodox Christianity versus LDS Christianity and theology and that kind of thing. What, what does Born Again Mormon, uh, the book Born Again Mormon, kind of bring to the table that's a little different? What it brings is our approach is to use Jesus first. Mm -hmm. We take off the table. You want to stay Mormon? We say, and this, is, this really bothers some Christian people. You want to stay Mormon? Go ahead. We're going to get a lot of email on that one. Yeah. Stay Mormon. <laughs> Go ahead, we tell them. But, you know, come to know Jesus. Yeah. And what that does is, it, what it means is when they leave Mormonism, they step right into a Christian church. Now, mm -hmm. what the other books, not all of them, but what some of them do, is they give you all the information that's wrong with Mormonism, Right. But, and when the Mormons say, this is not a true church, they step out into atheism yeah. or into the world. Right. So our method is to try to get them to know Jesus first and have him lead them out of the church. Yeah. So I'm really grateful for Lassie broadcasting, having me on the show, and uh, possibly carrying uh, heart of the matter on their network uh, in the near future. So uh, we pray to God that that will happen. While traveling back, I was a seatmate next to a young woman who was uh, LDS. She, her name was Whitney. She was articulate and, and a pretty girl and not married, a return missionary. And it was a three-hour and 45-minute flight, so we had a long time to talk. She didn't know who I was, and uh, she did at the end of the flight, but not, not at the beginning. And so we got to have a dialogue, and I said to her, you know, Whitney, what's going to happen if the plane crashes and goes down? And her, her first response was, well, I'm not afraid to die. And I said, okay, I understand that, but what's going to happen to you? And instead of answering the question right then, uh, she said, you know, I wish that, that we could get a report card in life. I wish that, that God would kind of give us a report card or, or a progress report and kind of tell us where we are with him, you know. And uh, I, in my life, she said, was I've been able to check off all the things I am supposed to do. 
And uh, she still hadn't been married, but she, it's not that she didn't want to be. And so that could be taken care of vicariously by the Mormons later. So we took that right off the table. But she said uh, she desired to be, but she said, but maybe, she said, she said I think I'm going to go to the celestial kingdom. But she said, but, the, you know, sometimes I wonder, maybe there's something hidden in me. Maybe some pride or some anger that I haven't been able to really take care of. And I'll find out that I'm, I'm not going to get to go there in the first place. And, and I just want Whitney to know that the report card was uh, was given at the cross. And in all A's, all A's, when Jesus took the last breath, it was all A's. And when you have faith on him, God doesn't look at your report card, Whitney. What he does is he looks to see if you believed on his son. And when you look at his son and he says, did you believe on him? You're an A student. You get in. You know, it's not based on you and your life. It's based on your faith in him. And so I just wanted to share that. I hope you're watching tonight. I asked you to, and uh, you'll probably be turning the channel shortly, but I just wanted to get that message in before you did. With that, let's have a prayer. Dear God, we love you and we thank you. Uh, we need you in all that we do. We pray for our uh, technical staff, for the volunteers, for our audience, and for our viewers at home. We pray that the message will be well-received and it will be what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to interrupt our <clears throat> analysis of the 17 points of the true church in order to present a tool we believe has merit. Please take a moment and grab your Bible at home uh, because there's a few passages you may want to mark, kind of chain through that we're going to give to you tonight. It's our intention at Aletheia Ministries that people, Christian churches, Christian missionaries, outreaches, whatever, will use this show, this specific show tonight, to train their congregates of what we believe is a better method for helping members of the LDS Church know the Lord. Now, if you're LDS and are watching tonight, I invite you to listen to what we have to say. We have nothing to hide. Our intentions and our methods are open to your scrutiny. I want you to know that if you happen to see me, I'm going to use these methods with you as I talk to you because it is what our ministry is based on. It started with Born Again Mormon, and it continues to be Born Again Mormon, and that is the premise, okay? Our approach to reaching the LDS has been somewhat new, unique, and as a result, it has been misunderstood by many Christian critics who utilize the more traditional methods of helping LDS people understand uh, about, more about their religion. We believe that one of the most responsible and effective ways to share the biblical Jesus with searching Latter-day Saints is through a discussion on being born again. But I'll talk more about this in a minute. Now, let me suggest a few foregone conclusions that should be understood by you if you want to learn how to share Jesus with Latter-day Saints. First, God does the converting. Now, I know that's kind of almost as a trite cliche that we say, God, it's all God, it's God, it's God. And yet many of us, including myself sometimes, we act as though it's up to us. You know, we act as though it's going to be my persuasion and my ability, but we have to remember it's a foregone conclusion that it is God who will do the converting. And so if you have people who aren't converted, it's not the right time in God's schedule of time for them to come around. He does it. Our methods, our words, he uses them in spite of us, and he brings them around. The second thing is that every LDS person is unique in a different way. Now, fishermen employ a number of different techniques 
and approaches as a means to catch fish. When you go to catch halibut, you fish very differently than if you were going to catch a barracuda. There's all kinds of different lines and lures and baits and weights and, and casting techniques and reeling techniques and landing techniques. I mean, it's, it's amazing just to catch a little fish. They have all these things. And so there's no one certain sure method or way, but God uses all methods in many radically different ways to reach out and grab people, all right? We at Aletheia Ministries, we don't cast too much criticism on almost anybody and their method. There's a few that we don't like too much, but most methods we just live and let live, okay? But we think that there are better ways, okay? And also it's a foregone conclusion to know who your audience is. Who are you speaking to? Now I wanna suggest to you that you're gonna be spinning your wheels to try to reach out to stalwart Latter-day Saints. Now, I'm not saying they can't convert, and I'm not saying that you're not going to plant some seeds. But if you have someone who is really into the church culturally and uh, theologically and all those ways, usually they don't come around for a long, long time. So who are those that we would be seeking for? This really irritates the Mormons when they email me, but we seek for the lost Latter-day Saints. We seek for the disaffected Latter-day Saints. We seek for those who haven't been able to stop a little coffee or taking a cigarette, or uh, maybe they're poor. You know, there's a lot of poor LDS who when they go to the ward, they just don't seem to fit in. We take those people that Jesus went after when he was on the earth. You didn't see him too often sitting with kings. He was usually out with those people who knew that they were sinners and didn't know what to do about it. So remember that. There are 13 million plus members of the LDS church and growing with a 60,000 member missionary force that's knocking on doors every day telling Christians that they are Christian and they should come over. But of that, about half, we believe about half, are inactive or just don't even understand what they're doing in there and don't have a relationship with Jesus, but want one. So those are the ones we want to suggest that you go after. Finally, uh, it seems that it's the sinners, it's the people who have been religiously disaffected, it's the people who have difficulty, and it's often the intellectuals. Uh, Boyd K. Packer said of the LDS church that the intellectuals were, were an enemy to the church at one time. And I want you to know that the people who are intellectuals sometimes are a good audience to try to go after, the artists, the intellectuals, those, those fringe type of people, because they, they, they are willing to listen and learn and they want to know truth. I have a friend here, a good friend of ours, and, and when people ask him, why did you leave the, uh, what caused you to leave the LDS church? And his response is, I got a library card. Okay, so, uh, you know, Sometimes those are some of the people we're going to go. And then another foregone conclusion is, have you been born again? Uh, God can use a, a skunk to convert somebody to him, but it's really important that you yourself have been converted uh, to because he typically uses those who are spokesmen. That's the Great Commission. So you, you want to make sure that you have a, a, a spiritual rebirth, that you are praying, that you are understanding the word, you are patient. And perhaps the best uh, advice, foregone conclusion is to realize that you need to know the word. KTW, you need to know the word. If you don't know the word, it goes back to that old um, counterfeit analogy. How do bankers tell a counterfeit? Because they study the real thing. 
It, they don't go and study counterfeit money. There's a, there's a million different pieces of those, but they just study the real thing. And when you know the real thing, when you feel the fake, you can tell the difference. So you got to study the real thing in order to be able to dialogue with somebody who's giving you the counterfeit. So you got to know the word. Okay. Now, methods matter. All right, they mattered to Jesus. You look through the Gospels, Jesus used all kinds of methods, and, he, and God uses all kinds of methods throughout the ages to reach people in different ways. Some are effective, our methods, our man-made methods, and some are frankly damaging and embarrassing. Uh, but even those have at times worked with people. But let's talk about the pros and cons of the seven most used methods uh, people have employed to reach the LDS church. Okay, number one, I think it's going to come up on the screen. First, there's the it's all good method. And that means that you make friends with the LDS under the uh, bromide that it's all good. Uh, you believe in Joseph and gold plates. It's all good. I believe in Jesus. You do too. It's all good, you know. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's frankly um, used to make friends with the LDS people, get them in your conference. It's very, it's very popular with liberal Christians who don't know the word at all. And they just kind of, you know, they hope to make somebody see their way. And uh, it may open door to becoming friends, but it certainly lacks the convictions to bring somebody to the true and living God. So we, uh, we just don't like the it's all good way. And so what that automatically creates a division in opinions with people. The it's all good people don't like the Sean McCraney types of the world. But uh, it's okay. We love you. And uh, that's all good. All right. And then... Uh, we have the second one, which is the argumentation, intimidation, or ridicule method. And uh, I know some of you put me in this category because of the nature of our show. And th this show is, is a certain type of thing for a certain audience, and it does a certain, uh, has a certain purpose. But rest assured, when I am on the planes, or when I'm sitting with people, and they come, and I talk, or my children's friends, or whoever who else is, I do not employ these tactics. Uh, this tactic is best used on LDS apologists who come at you, we've had a few call with guns a-blazing, and they try to spin and just cause you to doubt, then I have no problem with the argumentation, intimidation, ridicule method because it just puts them right back in their place, they shut up, and then you can go on to loving and reaching out to people in that way. The next one is the silent modeling method, and that method is really good in split families. And, for instance, when my wife was on the show, she talked about how Anything I said wasn't going to probably do a thing in our marriage. It was going to be her seeing me be a Christian man. And so when you are, have become a Christian and you're trying to reach out to your Christian family, the silent modeling is one of the best uh, methods to use because you simply show them, and it takes a long time, that you've changed, that you love the Lord, you're dedicated to Him, and because you're dedicated to Him, you are then dedicated to your spouse and your children and your community, and that goes a long way. Then we have the shock and awe method. And uh, these are the salacious things that people use. And the internet is full of this stuff. And the problem with the shock and awe method is that it's built on um, uh, these salacious hyperbole to really get people to go, you got to be kidding. You know, uh, did you know that Joseph Smith had, uh, they think, 194 wives and and 76 of them were children, and, and I mean, it's just insanity, and, and you know what, the, the sad thing about it is, is the shock and awe method really fills the seats. When people go around, Christians go around to speak on Mormonism, the more shock and awe you can give, 
the, the happier the, the congregates are because they get to see all the secret stuff and they just can't believe it. But truly, it, uh, it is limited and, it, and the problem with it is so much of it is not right. And so when the LDS get a hold of shock and awe type propaganda, they read it and they say, you know, this is, this is just not right. And so why would I believe anything that someone gives me? It does more damage than good. Then we have the information without much condemnation method. And I really like this. Living Hope Ministries in Brigham City, Utah uses this. They give good information. It's reliable. Of course, utlm.org. They give a lot of great, solid, referenced quotes from LDS uh, history, um, insights. They back up everything they say. Now, the LDS will try to put UTLM and Living Hope into the shock and awe category. That's where they try to say, hey, this met, look at these guys are all, and they're not. They're just not. They really know their stuff. You can trust what they're saying. And so we support that, and we really think it's good. Then there's the Truth and Love group, and that, that's the group who stands out at, at Temple Square. Not the screamer guys. Those are shock and awe and confrontation method. But these guys hand out water to the LDS as they go by, and they go, God bless you. God bless you. And the, and the LDS go, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And, and so the LDS are, are not thirsty anymore, and the Christians believe it's doing something. And maybe that does. I don't know. But the problem with that is, you know, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is misleading. So you've got to be able to mix the two. And this brings me to the seventh point, which we at Aletheia believe is the best. Just we humbly believe it's the best method for reaching the LDS. And we call it the John 3-3 approach. And let me tell it to you. Lay the LDS membership aside, lay the priesthood aside, lay polygamy and Joseph and everything else aside. And if you happen to have an open dialogue with somebody, stick to the question, have you been born again? Have you been born again? It's really tough for an individual, regardless of their religion, to escape that answer. They're either going to say, well, I think, they're going to say, yes, I have, or they're going to say, no, I don't think. Not, not sure, you know. And when they have those responses, you can then work with them about the importance of being born again. So you take them to John 3, 3, and, and we call it the John 3, 3 method, and, and you're talking to a Latter-day Saint about the importance of being born again because Jesus made it an imperative with Nicodemus. You marvel not that I said you must be born again. And so then they might say, well, how can I tell that I'm born again? So you go to the next scripture, and that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And what does it say? Someone read that. I didn't, let me, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Kevin can quote it, but, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Okay? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So you say in the Latter-day Saint, have if they say, I've been born again, or what does it mean to be born again? You say, well, all the old things pass away. Has that happened in your life? Well, you know, have you let go of all the old stuff that you've, or have you just built on that old man in, throughout your life? Made him better and better through your activities, but have you, have you, have old things passed away and everything becomes new in your life? It's like some, you've been in the dark your whole life and suddenly someone turns the lights on and you see you have a family and you see the nature for what it's like and you see the cosmos for what it's like and everything looks different. It's under a different light when you become born again. 
Okay, and so we can move on and we say, uh, well, why should I be born again? Because the, and the reason you wanna talk about this is because the LDS believe that they were born without sin. And so their question is, why should I be born again if I was born righteous? If I was born a child of God, what's the purpose of being born again? And you want to go to 1 John 12, 13. We end every show for the past three, uh, two and a half years with this verse. And it says, but as many as received him, talking about Jesus, he gave them power. To them gave he power to become the sons of God even them which believe on his name. So you become a son or daughter of God by believing on his name, okay? And then it says, which were born not of blood, meaning you aren't born of blood from your mother as a child of God, nor of the will of the flesh, meaning you can't personally say, I'm gonna be a child of God, I'm gonna be a child of God. There's no will that can make you that. Nor of the will of man, meaning there's no man-made system or religion that's gonna make you a child of God. What will do it? And it says right here, but of God. You got to be born from above. That's really the best translation of being born again is being born from above. So I'm going to finish off. I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but let me give you some last verses here. And those verses have to do with what leads a person, what causes a person to experience spiritual rebirth. I'm not going to look up their scriptures and read it, but I'm going to tell you the story. Isaiah 6, 5 and Daniel 10, 10 and Luke 5, 8. Let me tell you that. And then we're going to go to the phones 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Give us a call. We'll talk about anything you want. But let me just tell you, uh, Isaiah, when he came to see God with his train filling the temple, what did he say? He said, oh, he fell on his face. He said, I am a man undone. I am a man of unclean lips. This is Isaiah. Are you better than Isaiah? He said, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You see, he realized who he was relative to the holy, omnipotent, omniscient, perfect, consuming fire God. Isaiah, when he saw God, he realized this is what I am. Boom, falls to his face. Daniel, the same thing. Daniel says, when the man, talking about a Christophany, Jesus appearing to him, touched him, he said, I found myself on all fours. And then later on, he says in verse 15, I found myself dumb, unable to speak. Daniel was a really good guy. But when he had an experience with the uh, almighty God, he fell on all fours. And then we go to Peter, who Jesus is standing on the shore, and he says to the guys, cast your nets over there. And they did, and it filled it up with fish. And what did Peter say? Stay away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, this is the point. When you realize that you're a sinful person, and you realize who God truly is, you're broken. And you realize you have to have some kind of intermediary in between the two of you to save you. And that's Jesus. And you say, Jesus, save me. So I just want to suggest one thing. I want you to go and just ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin. I want you to ask him to please become the Lord and Savior of your life. And I want you to say that you'll wait for him to show you that you have a new heart, that you're a new creature in Christ, and you put your trust in him, and then you just do that. Do that in faith. It's a test. It's a test from us to you. And you can go, at, go back to sacrament meeting, the LDS church, do all the things you want to do, but you go with an honest heart and you say, reveal yourself to me, Lord, give him your heart, confess your sin, and we promise you, we promise you, you're going to see things... Whew, the light switched on. Let's go to the phone. Brian from Boise, Idaho. First time caller on line one. Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, anyway, uh, I'm glad that finally people are starting to talk about Jesus, you know, really, seriously. And stop all this work nonsense, you know. We're not good enough. Christ's the only one that was good enough. We accept our, our salvation through his blood. I think it's wonderful that people are starting to finally get a revelation of this. Yeah. You know, uh, thank God. Because to tell you the truth, uh, he has been denied the honor and the reverence that his blood is due. And the people keep trying to make their way to heaven by their works and by their ties and by their, you know, uh, the, you know, look, I look better than you kind of a thing. And look at me. I go to church all the time kind of, a, you know, and like Christ said, you can clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside is still dirty. Clean the inside and the outside is clean, too. Amen, brother. It's a great message. So the only thing I can say is, is that people ought to get on the bandwagon, get real, get honest. And finally, be humble in front of the cross. I, I agree and, with you, Brian. You know, get on with it, man. It's a great message. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, you know, there's a parable, the parable of the uh, laborers in the vineyard that's in Matthew chapter 20, and that's where we are at Lord's Word, uh, studying through, and I'm preparing for next week's sermon. And it talks about how there's some guys, and uh, there's... A man comes out and he hires some guys in the morning. He says, I'm going to give you a penny. You work all day in the vineyard. And then some guys come at 9 in the morning, guys come at uh, noon, and guys come at, at 4. And finally, at the last hour of the day, there's some other guys, and he comes in and says, why are you standing out here? Come in here and work for me. And so they go in and they work for the last hour. And then when it comes time to be paid, the Lord gives the guys who worked only for the last hour the same amount that he bargained with the guys at the beginning. And it's a, it's a model of many things, but one of the best models is it's of works. You know, those one guys worked all their life, and the other guys worked a lot, only one hour, and they all got the same pay. You know, it's not going to be a matter of, you know, hey, I've, I've been a Christian forever and ever, or I've been a Christian that's like a thief on a cross that confesses Christ and dies and goes to, you know, that's how it is. Jesus teaches that perfectly. And that's what Brian was saying from Idaho. So we appreciate that. Let's go to Dave and Orem. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, I muted my TV. Thanks, Sean, for having me. I've called a few times, but I wanted to say number one. I just go ahead. I just sent in a resignation. Uh, awesome. Friend of mine, and he uh, it was good because he was receptive to it, the bishop. And then previously I had trouble with that, but my son is watching right now your show, and and he he's uh, curious about religion. He hasn't joined, but. I wanted to say that it was really appreciated by me to have your family on last week or last couple of weeks and see how they reacted to your change of heart. And I'm going to go through that same process, I realize. But I'm now having, like, friends at work and people approaching me and saying, you know, you're really a dry Mormon and they want to get the closeness. And really, the, the viewpoint is, number one, I felt always felt there was only one God. Number two, the eternal family aspect, I really didn't get that mm -hmm. and a third little sidelight was my dad when he was a world war ii vet he had an experience spiritual he saw jesus at war and god needed him to have that experience he didn't test the spirit see if it was deceptive or anything by a handshake but he just did his thing and he was a very simple man and then joseph smith had his experience i don't deny what my dad said to me he was never dishonorable or dishonest in that experience and then the other thing is, um, when he was on board ship, he had 
test tubes, and he made sound systems for Protestants and Catholics, and one or the other wanted a better sound system to get more parishioners. And he said, this is ridiculous. And so he was very simple in his viewpoint of religion. Huh. Meet the needs, get it connected. He served his fellow man. We had 150 at his memorial and maybe another 150 old women that he helped as widows. And he just did this. He just he pushed his sons out, me and my brother, to go cut lawns and do stuff. Or why are we doing this, Dad? And he's like, just, just do it. And now I realize why, just to serve and do. Well, that's it's, wonderful, Dave. And it's commendable, but this is where I'm coming from. This is my life experience. I'm saying to you, thank you for pointing out a few good points over the past few years. I was a little contentious with you initially to defend what I believe, but then I started to listen, and it's a good process, and I'm, I'm going to enjoy it, and I hope my family gets some benefit of it. And, and, you know, the question is, you know, I really, really want to be respectful of my neighbors, and but I still want to maintain my own heart and beliefs that I have and continue yeah. to grow that way. So, well, you let the Lord lead and guide, and I'm sure you're the. I'm sure you're going to be a great neighbor and lead many people to the Lord. Just open that word, Dave, and just keep digging in and reading it, and it will. Uh, it'll cleanse you and it'll help you become a true Christian, more of a true Christian. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for the call. It's a great one. We appreciate it. All right, you take care. Okay, bye bye. How you all doing on Project Abandoned Ship? Uh, I had someone, uh, a good uh, supporter down in Orem, or Provo, I can't remember which, she forwarded me a letter that her daughter received back from the church after she had asked to have her name uh, uh, taken off. And the last line of the letter says, in view of the eternal consequences of, a, of such an action, the brethren urge you to reconsider your request and to prayerfully consider the enclosed statement of the First Presidency. This is on LDS Church letterhead. And then they, they uh, gave a little pamphlet here with this uh, statue of Jesus that they have at the LDS Temple. And, uh, and then it talks about coming back to the church and uh, because of all kinds of things that um, is just hyperbole in my opinion, but whatever. Uh, take your name off, send a message and say, when you stand up and you start taking ownership and start apologizing and making changes for things that are still on your books, including polygamy, when you stand up and you take care of that, then maybe I'll consider being part of that church and giving you the 10% that you really, really want and all my time and effort to help build the kingdom that you call is of God. But uh, until that, I want my name off this thing. Abandon ship now. All right, we are going to uh, Paul in New Plymouth, Idaho on... Line four. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Paul? Yes? You're on the air. Uh, yeah. Hi, Sean. Hi, Paul. Yeah, uh, your, your program is very, very interesting. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, I wonder how, Sean, how do you feel about the Trinity, and how does the... Uh, the Mormons feel about the Trinity? I'll answer your second question first. The Mormons believe the Trinity is a man-made doctrine conceived of by a group of men at the Council of Nicaea and that they were having problems with Arianism and all kinds of different heretical doctrines. And so they said, look, let's just make this easy and come up with some concept that will appease everybody because we don't know what Jesus was or not. And so let's all make them one thing. And that's the LDS flippant answer to it. Uh, after I became born again, Paul, and when I read the Bible front to back, studied it, the obviousness of one God 
and the obviousness that Jesus is God and that Jesus prayed to his Father and that there is a Holy Spirit all came, were made manifest to me. So if there is one God and there are three uh, manifestations of God in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I completely embrace and love the Trinity. And uh, so uh, that, that's my feelings on it. And I think that's the LDS general consensus about what the Trinity is. Does that help? Okay, yeah. I, uh, um, the, the connection wasn't too good, but I got most of it. So you, you don't believe in the Trinity then, do you? <laughs> you? You missed a few important words, Paul. I do believe in the Trinity. I do. You should go and watch the show again online or something, and it will help you hear the answer better. Line 4 is known for editing out some of the most sacred spots. We think the devil has control of line four. So, okay, very good. Uh, I uh, appreciate it. God bless you, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, you have a good day. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. What a kindly old guy. I hope he's older. I'm going to be in trouble again. All right, let's go to Jira in Provo. First-time caller. Jira, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jira? Hello. Hi, Jerry. You have to turn your TV down. I turned it down. Okay, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, listen, I've been watching your show for a few months, and I find it really interesting. Thank you. I was raised uh, LDS, but I, I stopped believing in it long ago, and I've since become a Christian. Okay. I have a, uh, yes, and I have a question about prayer. All right. Um, well, uh, I'm a Trinitarian and a monotheist, and uh, so I moved back to Utah recently, and now I'm surrounded by Mormons. So when I started praying, I decided that uh, I would leave off the little uh, 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 phrase that they put at the, at the end of all their pr uh, prayers, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, because okay. um, it seems a little redundant to me. Um, but I'm not a theologian, and I noticed that you do uh, say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what your opinion is of that um, as a Christian. And uh, also just some general advice on how do I retain my beliefs and identity as a Christian um, among all these Mormons. Yeah. Where are you now? Where are you going to church now? Um, I'm not. I haven't found a church that, that really suits me um, here in Provo. Okay. Uh, first, let me give you a recommendation. Uh, try Christ Evangelical Church in Orem. Uh, Scott McKinney is the pastor. Try Joe McCormick's church in. American Fork Mountain View is a good church. Uh, those two in that area. There's also Neal's uh, Baptist Church on Main Street in Provo is another very good church. Those three, try those out. As far as prayers go, uh, you know, I have learned that everybody prays differently, and a lot of it has to do with the environment in which you were raised. Because I was so long LDS, I have the habit sometimes of folding my arms, bowing my head, closing my eyes while the prayer is said. And uh, I also say sometimes, you know, Heavenly Father, and I sometimes close in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. But my heart is praying to God, and, and sometimes those old habits just slip in, but I'm not embarrassed by them because my heart is right. And so um, I, I do try sometimes to avoid those cliches just so I don't sound so redundant, but you're right. Those do come out, but it's part of my upbringing. Finally, uh, what was the other, is there another question there? Well, I, I'm wondering, you know, I, I, the main reason I did that, I don't think it's wrong. I did try to look it up. I tried to research it, but like I, like I said, I'm not a, a theologian. I think there's one verse 
that talks about praying in Jesus' name in the New Testament. John sixteen twenty four. Uh, that could be it. Yeah, I don't remember off the top of my head. I did it a couple of days ago, but um, I I'm just wondering how, as a Christian, not to get. I mean, it seems to me like I'm surrounded by either Mormons or the Mormons that have become disaffected are all very much atheists. Yeah. And so I'm, I, you know, I, I do need to find a church that I can go to that I feel comfortable in, but um, just day-to-day living, I mean, I just, that's, that's the reason it became an issue to me in the first place. Yeah. Well, uh, you keep, try those churches, I said, and, you know, I really think the best way to pray is just with your heart, just like you're talking to your father, because you can boldly go to him now because the blood of Jesus has made you uh, completely able to enter his presence and just talk to him like uh, Abba, Papa, and Father, you know, Lord. Okay. All right. I hope that helps. It helps. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Another thing that uh, I uh, find is when I lost the King's English, the these and thous and uh, thine and all the stuff in prayer, and I just talked to him, you and yours, and that, that helps the honest communication come about rather than making it like a liturgical presentation. It's more me communicating from my heart to the Father's, and I don't think our loving, eternal, omnipotent God is angry for saying you instead of thou which uh, I had taught, wouldn't been taught my whole life. All right, let's go to Marie in Salt Lake City, line two. Marie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, yes. Um, I watched a few of your programs. Yes. And I find them quite interesting. I was born Protestant, and then I moved into the Assembly of God Church. Uh-huh. And... Um, we believe in the gift of tongues and, or whatever. Hmm. And I was given um, the gift of healing. I was really seriously studying scriptures and um, trying to find the truth and uh, did a, a study on the gifts of the Spirit. And I felt like I was given the gift of healing, okay. and I have performed that again. I, I, I've performed that, and I was, um, I don't know if you've heard of Catherine Coleman or not. I have. Okay. Um, I was being groomed to um, take over her position. Wow. Problem? What? I said, wow. <laughs> Isn't she dead? I, what? Isn't she dead? Yes, she's dead, and instead of me taking in that, there's a guy that's on a, I don't know, he's got a dab on him everywhere. So, <laughs> so Marie, what's, uh, do you have a question, my sister? Yes, this is my question. I have a, I cannot understand why I cannot touch someone and um, for them to be healed. That a priesthood, uh, the priesthood has to be involved when I know down deep inside that that gift was given to me by the Holy Spirit. Well, you 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 really answered your own question, um, uh, Marie, because uh, 
when the gifts of the Spirit are not reserved to bonds or free or black or white or male or female, the gifts of the Spirit are given to everybody, whether it be prophecy or healings or tongues or any of the gifts of the Spirit. And if you have the gift of healing given to you by God to help with the, uh, the growth of the church here on earth, then you need no priesthood. You don't need a priesthood anyway. And the LDS have just made it a male-dominated thing. And, and in order to heal, you have to be a male and holding their priesthood. But you have the correct biblical understanding of the gift of healing. And I praise uh, God for that. And I hope that it's effective in your life and in others. Thank you. I just um, have to find Christians now instead of Mormons. Because I do live in Mormonville. <laughs> well, start healing the Mormons and maybe they'll come around. <laughs> There's so many people that are suffering and yeah. it is so simple. Well, you know you don't have to lay your hands on their head to heal them. You know as a Christian any touching or you don't even have to touch them, I guess, but they always touched in the Old Testament. They seem like they did. So go up and shake their hand and then while you're doing it, heal them. <laughs> okay. All right, thanks so much. Well, I enjoy your program. Thanks, Marie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Doug and Leighton, first-time caller. Doug, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there, John. Hello, Dave. I mean, I mean, Sean. I mean, Doug. Uh, yeah, I told... Storm was ex-Cal. You're on the air. Yeah, I'm on the air. Oh, you, you, are you have a question? I do. I just wanted to... I had two questions. One, I wanted to ask what happened to the forum and if you're going to have it back okay let me answer that before you go to question number two no we're not going to have it back we had we tried three attempts over four years at the forum we had three different well structured by technical genius guys how to do the forum and it always amounted to arguing and ugliness and LDS apologists coming in and spinning anything nice and Christians coming in and behaving horribly. Now, there were a few of you that were good, but it was just so vile that we realized it's just not what our ministry is about. We, we don't want that. And so we have decided to forever uh, ban uh, message boards from our lives. Oh, all right. Well, that's good to know. I won't, I won't look for it. I hadn't been there for quite a while. Yeah. So I didn't know really what had happened. So Okay, and question number two. Question. Pardon me? And question number two? Question number two is actually a comment on your statement that LDS doctrine uh, specifies that, uh, that, that there's no need to be born again. You know that's not correct, Sean. And I, I uh, think that it, maybe it was a slip of the tongue or what it might have been, but, but I wish you'd correct that because that's an important thing that have straight well let me explain why you're on the phone uh doug the ld the book of mormon talks about spiritual rebirth but the book of mormon is a book that uh does not teach mormonism typically so i mean it, there's a everything that is strange about mormonism is outside of the book of mormon so uh i do admit that it talks about the mighty change it calls it in the book of mormon but um it's not necessarily whether something's present or not it's whether if something is taught or emphasized. They teach that spiritual rebirth begins at baptism of an eight-year-old child. And they also teach that you come from a pre-existent state to this earth and you are cleansed through the birth 
process of the mother and that you are innocent and pure and clean until you reach the age of accountability and you're not born in sin and then you need to repent of your sins which is made available through the baptism you did at eight years of age. The idea that you have the miracle of the moment of being justified for your sins once and for all by Jesus Christ's blood and then you are sanctified over a processional period of your life learning to obey him and follow him is is uh, is not taught now sanctification is taught but the justification is completely absent in Mormonism and that's what I'm talking about Doug and I think that you know that and and uh, you understand what I was saying there don't you well, I do. Uh, the thing is, is I think you ought to make that clear because the idea that sin, can, you know, we're born in a world of sin, so sin conceives in our heart as we become accountable before God as where the, the uh, need for repentance and need for redemption starts. Let's, let's cut to the chase here, Doug. Do you, belie- do you believe in, in that you are justified uh, by the blood of Jesus Christ and that once you're justified and you die, you can go directly to the presence of God the Father? Absolutely. Okay, well, that is not Mormon doctrine, my friend. Oh, it is Mormon. No, it is not. It is not Mormon doctrine. You cannot say the sinner's prayer and be justified by God and then go directly to his presence if you're killed. That is not Mormon doctrine. Even in the Book of Mormon. Okay, you're quoting the Book of Mormon, which, again, I I preface the comment by saying they may talk about the mighty change, but it does not come down to the end of the row. You know that for someone to go directly to the presence of God, if they're LDS, they yes, they have faith in Jesus Christ. They're baptized. They're given the gift of the Holy Ghost by somebody holding the proper authority, and then they go on and they endure to the end, which includes going to the temple and receiving the new and everlasting covenant and being sealed for time and all eternity. The, all of those things are mandatory in order to enter God's presence again. Now, you, what you're doing here is you're trying to slip in some kind of semantical argument, but it's just not going to hold water. Can I get a word in? You can now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what you said is true. That's, that's important. But to understand what it means to go directly into the presence of God is the key there. And the, the Mormon doctrine is, is that a person that is that is living righteously and has kept the commandments and is who's that and walking uprightly before God and who is who is walking uprightly before God who has kept the commandments who is living worthily Doug who name one hold on Sean I'm just saying from the Mormon point of view here so I know but Doug see the problem is we're down to 40 seconds on the show and you're throwing out stuff and you make it sound like yes it, it is all the same but it is so not the same oh, Doug, you're, you're not you're misconstruing it and I guess I have no I'm more always time. accused That's why of that I like the forum I had a chance I know I know Doug do me a favor uh, let's continue the conversation call back next week because we're down to 22 seconds yeah okay call back and we'll continue this discussion anyway Okay, call back and we'll continue this discussion. All right. I'll let you talk more. Okay, bye-bye. God bless. Sorry, we got nine seconds left. Uh, I hope you'll take the challenge. Go to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage. Oh, yeah.